Hi, and thanks for tuning in to My Adventures at Home Brewing. I'm Dan Matthews, and come along with me as we talk about things for new home brewers, from gadgets to how we got started to, I don't know, all the mistakes we make along the way. So come along for the ride and have a beer or two along the way. looking for that yeast that can help you attain the best beer possible that you're looking for escarpment laboratories escarpment laboratories are located in guelph ontario and make some of the finest yeasts in canada if you want to make the beer that you want and have consistent results all the time you need to check out escarpment laboratories Brew Donkey Tours are back. We closed our doors for the health of our community, but now with new safety protocols, we're getting ready to open the barn doors. Starting July 24th, the donkey rides again. Every ticket includes ample samples, behind the scenes tours, and a healthy dose of learning. Support local breweries and tourism with a brewery tour by bus. Get your tickets before they sell out at brewdonkey.ca. Brew Donkey, brew tours that kick ass. Hey everybody, thanks again for coming along for the ride and a beer or two along the way. I am Dad Matthews and welcome to My Adventures in Home Brewing. We are very fortunate today to have one of the co-founders with us from Escarpment Laboratories. Yes, those fantastic people who make yeast for us to make beer. We have Richard. Richard, how do you say your last name so I don't sound like a complete twit? My, my family always says priest, but I think it's kind of, a, it's kind of just been anglicized a little bit. So it, okay. it is a German name. It, it is Price, but honestly, Priest Price, I'm, I'm really not offended either way. <laughs> so there you go. We have Richard Priest Price, all in one shot here with us at uh, my adventures. Um, so folks, thank you very much. As you probably have seen up online right now, we have our latest episode of uh, my Adventures of Home Brewing. Uh, this this episode, we have Coulter Wilson from Homebrew Home Brewing DIY uh, talking about the do's and don'ts. So it, when you have a chance, go check it out. Leave him a comment uh, and that on his website, his links, and also his social medias. As for us here, if you have a chance, go down to the bottom of your Apple app or whatever you use for your podcasts. Leave us a review and uh, it is greatly appreciated. It helps us advance the uh, the podcast also if you look also there there's also a little button you can you can click on it and leave me a voice message if you want and or even a question and the next time i get one of those i will read them on on the podcast and whoever my guest is at the time i will make sure i get an answer from them if it's relevant to what's going on so without further ado we have richard with us from escarpment laboratories richard how are we doing today Doing well. Um, it's Friday, so it's almost the end of the week. Uh, feel good about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's dive into us a little bit. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started and also uh, escarpment. Yeah, so I'm a microbiologist. Um, about second year university, I, I decided that that's what I wanted to be. I uh, went to school originally for genetics and uh, you know, wanting to cure cancer and, and save the world and realized that that was, uh, you know, a, a pretty daunting problem. And, you know, at the same time, also uh, started to learn about microbiology and 
uh, recognize that all of the things that I really love, um, especially with food, uh, are the product of fermentation. Things like uh, beer, wine, cheese, bread, kimchi, sauerkraut. Um, all the good stuff. All this stuff is all the good stuff is the product of fermentation, and that there's this microbial world that helps us to unlock new flavors, uh, and that was very inspiring to me. And so I sort of did a full 180, and and you know fell you know head over heels in love with microbes and the things that they can do for us with food and flavor. Um, that didn't immediately lead to beer, but you know, on the lo along the way, I, I learned a lot about sourdough bread baking and and uh, kombucha and stuff like that. Uh, did end up doing a internship in Germany where I, I got to work with yeast, and that sort of translated to uh, some more uh, research at the University of Guelph where I was going, where I you know continued to work with yeast and um, continued to get into craft beer, and you know that ultimately led to uh, myself and another lab mate there at the University of Guelph, uh, Angus, uh, my co-founder at Escarpment. Uh, we ended up starting this company, uh, recognizing that there wasn't really anyone doing this in Canada, um, supplying uh, really fresh yeast uh, to the brewers. And you know, this was sort of when craft craft beer was really in an upswing um, in Canada. So it kind of just felt like the right place at the right time, and we just sort of jumped into it and uh, made it happen with our with our third co-founder, Nate. Cool. So. With Escarpment, how long has it been in business? Like how long have you guys been around? Uh, we've been a company since 2015. So a little over five years. Oh, right on. And I, I'm pretty sure you're doing some business with the brewery I work out, work, work with out in Orleans, Ontario, uh, Stray Dog. Yeah, uh, we do. Yeah. And we're really lucky to have customers all over Ontario and all over Canada and all over the world now. So that, that's a lot of fun. But yeah, I love being able to uh, work with all these uh, small craft breweries, um, um, especially close to home. Okay, fantastic. So, like I was telling you before, uh, I went through the world of Google. And because, I, I, I'll admit it, I am a, a yeast idiot. Um, there's not a whole lot other than I go to the store and look for what, I, what the recipe says I should buy and go with it. So, with that said, um, can you tell us just in general, basically what yeast is before we actually delve into more specifics. Yeast is a magic little fungus that turns uh, otherwise uh, boring grain, sugars, and, and other things into delicious uh, alcoholic beverages. Um, <laughs> That's an easy way of putting it. I like it. At least in the world of beer. Obviously, yeast is useful for, for so much more than just beer. You know, it, yeah, we yeah. use it to make wine. We use it to make fuel. We use it to do all sorts of really cool things. But, you know, we're talking about beer. What, what the yeast is doing is it's taking that wort, uh, that unfermented beer, and it's uh, taking the sugars, turning it into CO2 and alcohol. Uh, the alcohol is a preservative. It's a flavor carrier. Uh, the yeast is producing a lot of its own flavors along the way. Uh, yeast is one of the key drivers of flavor in beer. Uh, even in beers that don't have a lot of flavor, like lagers, it's still doing something and it's still a huge uh, part of that final result. And brewers choose certain yeasts for certain styles of beer because of the specific properties those yeasts have and the flavors they make. So it's really, really important for the process. Um, I'm not going to say it's the most important thing because, you know, beer is the product of balance. There's, everything matters, water, mm. yeast, hops. Uh, malt, everything is important, but yeast plays a huge role in, in this whole equation. Okay. So how many different strains 
are there for yeast? I mean, I'm, I know there's top fermenting, which are your ales, and then there's bottom fermenting, which are all your lagers, but I'm pretty sure there's more to it than just that. There is. It, it gets complicated. So there's different species of yeast that are used to make, to make uh, that can be used to make beer. So that is sort of the, the, the biggest dividing line, right? We have lager yeast, which is its own sort of species. It's a hybrid of, of, of two different uh, yeasts, actually. And, and ale yeast, which is, you know, yeast at the top fermenting, uh, which is its own species of um, yeast called Saccharomyces cerevisiae. There's lots of other yeasts that, that you know, within that group, it's uh, just the sort of species of yeast that has honestly figured out how to cater to human needs better than any other, and that's why it's so successful. It, you know, it can, it can figure out how to get really good at making wine. It can figure out how to get really good at making fuel. It can figure out how to get really good at making sake and so consistently it's that's what shows up in most of our ferments around the world uh it's really really good at adapting to to what humans want it to do uh and so consequently we have yeasts that have adapted to become really good at making beer we have different uh genetic groups of beer yeast and this, that means that within those groups then you have a whole bunch of different strains and i think it's hard to answer the question of like how many strains are out there because there's there's so much diversity out there and i think there's still a lot that we haven't yet discovered um, and, and we're still sort of discovering new strains of yeast um, or new properties of yeast. And, you know, we can even then go a layer deeper and recognize that a lot of these yeasts, you can take them and you can blend them to get combinations of traits. You can, you can breed them, you can crossbreed them with each other. Um, you know, like dog breeding, uh, you can end up with like a Labradoodle yeast. Um, <laughs> nice. So there's, there's still a lot of possibilities moving forward as well. Okay. Um, so... I know like the yeasts uh, light are happy at certain temperatures, like ale yeasts are happy to between 65 and say 75 degrees and uh, lager yeasts are happy between, I think it's 55 and 65, I think, or is that, or is that about right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Lagers like it colder. Yeah. Okay. So why is it that ales are warmer and lagers are colder? A lot of it comes down to our, you know, our desire for the flavor outputs. If you take a lager yeast and ferment it too warm, it might produce flavors that we don't like, right? It might produce fusel alcohol, like, you know, cheap vodka kind of flavors or, you know, too much fruitiness. Um, but the other part of this is that, you know, this is sort of coded into the evolution of the yeasts as well. Like the lager yeast, I, I mentioned this before, it's, it's a hybrid of two different species. And one of those species is, naturally cold tolerant. It's found in colder places than uh, ale yeast is. So consequently, they've figured out how to just how to work better at cold temperatures. So as a result, lager yeasts can, they can ferment cold. So why wouldn't you, if you're looking for a clean, uh, consistent result? Right. Um, so there's sort of that operational benefit, especially if you're looking at brewing, you know, a few hundred years ago, where they didn't really have people like me to look at the microbes and fermenting cold was a way to help uh, prevent contamination. Mm -hmm. So you did mention uh, a little bit ago that you can blend yeasts. What do you mean by that? Do you mean like taking an ale yeast and a lager yeast and throwing them together? Or are you talking about two ale yeasts and two lager yeasts? That's a yeah, choose your own adventure kind of thing. So okay. we, we have some products like that. Um, one of the very first products that we sort of came out with is called Old, Old World Saison Blend. And it's a blend of two strains because we just we found initially when we were testing out 
the different Cezanne yeast, we didn't really, you know, like the results of any single strain on its own and found that blending was a way to get a little bit more character and um, a little bit more uni uniqueness out of, um, out of uh, the Cezanne yeast. So that was just sort of an early example for us of, you know, maybe we can blend things and get something a little bit different or greater than the sum of its parts. But yeah, I mean, like, uh, if you look at uh, a lot of cream ales are made with a blend of ale and lager yeast to kind of get that balance of characteristics. There's a lot of cool things you can do with, with yeast blending to, to really get something unique or, or best of both worlds. Okay. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So that's good to know. And this is something I hear a lot with my friends and things like that. And they say, well, yeast is yeast. So why can't I just take the stuff I use to make bread and throw that in my beer? It's the exact same thing in my head. I'm like, well, no, it's not. But through the world of Google, I saw that you actually can take the yeast from, um, from making beer and make, make it alcoholic bread, but you can't do that with bread yeast. Why is that? Well, you, I mean, you can, you just, the, the results might be different. Like bread yeasts are different from beer yeast um, in a lot of cases. And so they're, like commercial bread yeast is a is a pretty heavily engineered thing. They're pretty uh, heavily adapted to being able to you know get going in a in a bread dough really quickly. Um, and a lot of the flavors that they produce are flashed off when the bread is baked. So if you use some of those yeasts in brewing, you might just get some of those flavors and and have them stick around, and and they might be unpleasant. That being said, like yeah, you can you can make beer with bread yeast. Um, it is possible. It, it just, uh, just based on the traits of the yeast, it might not give you desirable flavors. Like that is the right. thing is that the, there's so many different types of yeast with so many different uh, genetic qualities that then influence how they behave in a fermentation. Um, and it just might, uh, it might change, you know, what you can do with it. From what I know about bread yeasts in beer, they, they can be pretty estery, pretty fruity. Um, they also can produce some off flavors like sulfur and things like that. Um, but, you know, conversely, yeah, you can also use bread yeast or beer yeast in breads. Um, they're slower than, than, than a lot of the like, you know, Fleischmann's instant yeast kind of thing, but yeah. you can get a lot of nice flavors out of them. So I would, I would never tell people, no, you can't, you can only use bread yeast for, for bread and beer yeast for beer, but there is a reason that they are, you know, that they are tailored to those. Uh, specific yeah. They're designed specifically for that. Yeah, or yeah, adapted for it. For sure. Okay. Um, if someone wanted to try and do this at home, is there a way that they could promulgate yeast at home? I mean, other than making a starter, is there a way that you can actually make your own beer yeast at home? Yeah. Um, what some people do is they do what's called a, like a wild yeast capture. So uh, it can be as simple as, you know, leaving out a jar of wort, unfermented beer, and, and you know, waiting for fermentation to start and uh, see what you end up with that that can be a little bit risky mm -hmm. um, just because you don't know what you're going to end up with and and just you know from a food safety standpoint if uh, if something other than yeast gets in then there you know there could be some risks involved um, what we've often suggested for that kind of thing is you know try to find some kind of plant or environmental material that's likely to have yeast on it like fruit tree bark uh, things like that tend to just anywhere there's sugar in, in, in nature, you're probably more likely to find fermentative yeasts. 
so that can be a good way to sort of jumpstart that process, like a little bit of, you know, uh, tree bark or fruit uh, in a little bit of wort, uh, put an airlock on it, try to keep the mold out and uh, see what you end up with. And that is one way that people can sort of harvest uh, wild yeast at home. Okay. Um, so I know I've experienced this is that it looks like my yeast has stalled and I've actually had to go in throw in another package of yeast to get it going again to make sure it's fermented up completely. Is there ever a risk or I should say what would happen if you over pitch your beer with yeast? If you over pitch. So, I mean, generally the risk is lower than <clears throat> under, under pitching because mm -hmm. um, with under pitching, you do run the risk of off flavors and stalled ferments. Um, Overpitching is like for some strains you won't even notice the difference. To be honest, for other strains there are there are noticeable differences. So, so I would say like overpitching. If you're, if you're pitching a really expressive yeast, like one that produces a lot of flavor, like a Belgian yeast or a Hefeweizen yeast, um, if you're overpitching it, you're not going to get as much flavor expression from it because it it just doesn't have to grow as much before it kicks into gear. So it doesn't have to you know produce as many of those flavor uh, compounds that we want. Um, and then there's other yeasts where if you overpitch them, you can get, you know, off flavors. So um, some of the cleaner sort of ale strains, like, like a Kolsch yeast, if you, they've seen it in breweries, if you repeatedly overpitch a Kolsch yeast, you get um, a lot of acetaldehyde, like a green apple kind of um, aroma flavor, um, which can be pretty distracting from, from a delicate beer uh, like that. Um, but like in general, it's, it's, yeah, it's not as bad as under pitching. Okay. Is there ever a need to pitch yeast a second time if you have to? And usually that indicates something's gone wrong in the first one. Okay. Um, you know, yeast, uh, the beer yeast that we use are pretty, pretty picky eaters. They, they really do like to have a feast. Um, and that's not just the sugars, that's, that's other nutrients as well. So, you know, yeast has a, uh, the beer yeast that we use has a pretty high nutrient requirement. It needs a lot of nitrogen. It needs a lot of, you know, minerals and vitamins and all of this stuff. Most of the time we get all of that from the wort, but sometimes, sometimes no. Um, and then the other thing that really needs is oxygen. And, and I know that at least on the home brewing side, that is hard to get a lot of oxygen into the wort. Um, you know, without having to make some investments in some equipment to uh, like get a little oxygen tank and a, and a, and a, a centered stone and everything for oxygenation. So that, that's usually, at least on the homebrew side, the main cause of stalled ferments is, is not enough oxygen or, or the yeast is really old. Um, there are occasions where I, you know, where, where, you know, having to add more yeast is fairly inevitable. Like I would say like really high alcohol, really high gravity ferments, like barley wines, imperial stouts, there might be a case where it stalls before it's done and you need to add a little bit more yeast or a little bit more oxygen to keep it going. Mm -hmm. Um, so it happens, but it's almost always a, you know, a result of the, the initial yeast being, being, um, you know, not happy or not healthy in some way. Okay. Um, this may be a weird question just cause, um, I saw this and kind of in my head, I, mean, I don't think it's possible, but according to Stella Artois, they make their beer without yeast. Is this possible? 
that doesn't really make sense. Unless exactly. It's like a... So <laughs> according to Google, I, I asked them, and this is, there's a question there. It says, is there a beer without yeast? And the answer is a beer made without yeast about Stella Artois, the beer that is meant that, uh, the beer that its manufacturers claim is made without yeast. Was it too good to be true? Apparently, according to advertisers, Stella Artois is made using only four ingredients, hops, barley, maize, and water. So apparently, there's no yeast. So the question is, in my head, I'm like, someone's blowing smoke because you need the yeast in there to eat the sugars, to poop the alcohol, to make the beer, to make it enjoyable. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. I would think that they would probably need yeast to do the fermentation. I know, I know like just when you, when you look at food labeling, you know, beer is a food, um, some, some jurisdictions don't require yeast to be, you know, labeled as an ingredient because, you know, there's an argument to be made that it's a processing aid that can be removed through filtration. So, you know, there's actually no yeast present in the beer by the time it goes to the consumer in a, in a filtered beer. So maybe that's, the argument they're making <laughs> yeah i, I guess haven't so. heard anything about it you know not being made with yeast because that would be a little surprising yeah that's that's something really weird because like according to every book every forum blog whatever it is i've read uh leading up to me getting back into home brewing is that yeast is one of the key factors that you need to make the the elixir of the gods which is beer yeah <laughs> and it, it, to see someone say that well no we don't use it well either you're leaving it out in the sun to do its own thing and boil away and who knows what kind of critters you're going to get inside of it or it, you're not just listing it. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. So <laughs> here's another question for you. And if you know the answer, great. If not, don't worry about it. It's how did they make yeast in the olden days? So I'm looking at basically back way back in the beginning. Yeah, I think humans have had a, a relationship with yeast that, that goes back a long time, at least thousands of years. Um, so it's hard to know exactly when that started because it sort of goes presumably back to before we really had good, you know, mm -hmm. documentation of what humans were doing. Uh, but it seems like we've been, at least in a lot of places, we've been, we've, we've been fermenting stuff for a while. And, you know, recognizing that if, if you use the same uh, pottery, the same vessel to ferment whatever it is you're fermenting over and over you're going to you're probably not going to be cleaning it super well every single time you're going to have some resident microbes living in there and over time those things will adapt to whatever it is they're fermenting get better at it get more competitive um domesticate really you know just like we uh, domesticated dogs and cats um we domesticated yeast to to do specific things Okay. Um, so it's been going on a long time. And I think the reality is that, you know, for most people in most fermentation traditions, if, if you've got a little bit of the last batch and you've figured out that if you add a little bit of the previous batch to the new one, it ferments faster, you're just going to keep doing that. And that's probably sort of the guiding principle of, of yeast free use um, for thousands of years is, is, you know, people recognizing that they can take a little bit of the last one put it in the next one, you know, at least in terms of written documentation, this is, this is talked about going back to, you know, um, you know, around, you know, first century AD kind of thing. So mm -hmm. um, it's definitely pretty old. Like, you know, I, I have some yeah, references of people reusing, you know, the, 
they don't call it yeast because you know, they didn't know what yeast was for quite a while, but they call it, you know, the foam or whatever right. from, uh, from, you know, one batch of beer into another, or one batch of bread into another in, in Egypt. So um, this is a pretty known thing. Okay. So how is yeast made now? <laughs> a little bit more controlled. Um, the way that we do it, and I think the way that, you know, most yeast production is, is managed is, is we have a given yeast strain in a, in a, what's called a cryo freezer. So it's a, it's a really, really cold freezer that you can use to, to sort of store cryo preserve uh, a yeast strain or, you know, a lot of things in, uh, w without it changing very much, you know, from, from year to year. So, you know, you can store yeast for years and years and years in, in one of these cryo freezers and it, it doesn't really change. It's sort of just stuck in time. Um, so you can go from that. You can, um, put it onto an agar plate, like a little petri dish that has colonies of yeast on it. And then from there, you can start growing it up. And the cool thing about yeast is that it grows exponentially, right? You can start with a couple cells and within a week you have trillions and trillions of cells um, because it just doubles every time. Um, so, you know, for us, we can start from a colony of yeast on a plate, uh, a little sort of dot and uh, grow that up through successively larger um, propagations like yeast starters uh, to the point where you know some of our batches are, are pretty big like 2,000 liters um, and then we just have a bunch of yeast in the tank we uh, can concentrate the yeast um, like crash it out let it settle out separate it from uh, from the, the, the liquid and uh, harvest it as a as a slurry and that's what we sell because we do we do liquid yeast cultures so we're yeah. selling a, a yeast slurry yeah, and I've used your yeasts and they're, they're fantastic. They're, <laughs> they, work, they work fantastic. But <clears throat> when I'm building my recipes, I mean, other than the fact that I'm going by the rough guide of what the recipe says. So if they're saying, you know, if you use, you use an English ale yeast and they're saying white labs or whatever else, I'm like, okay, what does, who has this that maybe I want, want to try? How do you match the yeast to the recipe? That's, that's one thing I know I struggle with. If I'm going to be, because there's been a few that I've started to build on my own. Then I've seen what's similar to an online and brewer's friend. I'm like, okay, this guy has the same idea. So I'm just going to use the yeast he says. But there's got to be a way to really be able to figure that out on your own other than just experience. <laughs> yeah, I know it's tough and we need to make it easier. Um, one of the things that, that you know, we've been doing the last little while is, is try to create a little bit more of those resources that are available to home brewers. So um, we do have some posters that, that go out to the homebrew shops um, that do list some of those equivalents, right? Because a lot of the yeast strains that are sold by commercial labs are, are similar to each other. So, mm. um, you know, try to make people aware of, of those comparisons because, yeah, maybe, maybe you know, you can't find the, uh, the, the equivalent from the other lab uh, or you want to, you know, try our equivalent. And it's, it's good to know what that is without having to dig too deep. So, yeah, we definitely have to make that clear. Mm -hmm. um, one of the other things we're, we're trying to do, and uh, we're uh, working on a, a new website that, that just captures more of that information about the yeasts. Um, you know, right now, I think we list like alcohol tolerance, flocculation, attenuation, um, temperature range, stuff like that. We're, we're adding more, more information now. Um, right. So more information about the flavor profile of the strains and the, the, the uh, optimal beer styles and stuff like that. So uh, you'll see that coming down the pipe pretty soon too, just to try to make that a little bit easier. Right? Cause I think, you know, there's a lot of strains that also just people don't know what they can do. And, you know, we're, you know, 
uh, really big fans of some of these strains that aren't used very, uh, very frequently. So, so hopefully mm -hmm. that helps to, uh, you know, get people excited about some of the, uh, the, the, the less popular yeasts. I'll say this, the Sterling ale yeast that you have is fantastic. It is a beast of a yeast. That's Wait, one that? of the examples. Yeah. That's one where I would love for more people to use Sterling because it's, uh, it's very bomb proof. Um, it does a lot of the same stuff that Cali does. It does a lot of the same stuff that the English strains do. It kind of mm -hmm. sort of fits somewhere in the middle. You can use it for pretty much anything, and it's a high attenuation, good flocculation, um, not super picky in terms of uh, nutrients and stuff like that. It's it's a great house yeast. Yeah, should you should people be using yeast nutrients in their beer, even though sometimes recipes don't call for it? Is it does it hurt the beer to do that or? It doesn't hurt the beer most of the time. I would, I would always re recommend it. Um, on the commercial side, it's like, it's helpful to be a little bit more careful just because there is cost associated with dumping in right. a bunch of nutrients. But like on the homebrew side, it, it's just sort of nice to have that insurance, especially with, I, I know it's really hard to get really, really good oxygenation of wort. So it, it does help there just giving the yeast some other nutrients to, uh, you know, help balance any uh, inconsistencies with oxygenation. Um, but yeah, it's not totally necessary. I usually recommend it for um, the the Belgian yeasts tend to mm -hmm. be pretty pretty heavy in their nutrient requirements, and they can be, get kind of sulfury, like you know, kind of get a like matchstick uh, hard boiled egg kind of thing um, it, if they don't get enough nutrients. Um, but you know, some of the other ones like lager yeast, I, with with the amount of nutrient that comes out of the the, the, the malt, that they don't really need anything more. Okay. So I didn't really hear this. Are you a home brewer? I am. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, I guess I didn't get into that, but that's kind of how I got right. into this, this whole thing. Yeah. I, I got into home brewing in university as well. Okay. So here's so the question. Been... Dry or liquid? I know you make liquid, but as a, as a home brewer, <laughs> what do you prefer? Dry or liquid? I mean, I definitely prefer liquid yeast. Um, that is what I produce and sell. It's, uh, you should be able to find our yeast fresh pretty much anywhere in Canada. Um, there's definitely benefits to dry yeast, especially the convenience, especially if you, you know, you want to brew, it's the weekend, the homebrew shop's not open. Absolutely. There's, there's lots of good options available. Mm -hmm. Um, I do value the selection of liquid yeast. I do value the freshness, um, that, yeah, a lot of the times we're able to get yeast to these shops when it's super, super fresh, like less than two weeks old. And, you know, being able to use a super fresh liquid yeast at the right pitch rate is, is a really nice experience because it, it just works so well. Right on. Um, so I value, I, I value that and this, the selection as well is like we can, we can make our batches really small if, if we want to so that we can make more selection available to people. Right. All right. Well, that is pretty much all the questions I have there, Richard. You are awesome. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I hope to have you back again sometime, maybe on a different topic as just as a guest speaker, as a, like maybe a round table of homebrewers. We'll see what happens. Are you up for that? Absolutely. Yep. Always happy to answer questions. Awesome. So folks, thank you very much for tuning in. Richard, again, thank you very much for coming in. You're, I know you're busy, man, and your time is appreciated. Folks, go check out Escarpment Laboratories. I know right now they don't, uh, you can't go to their website and buy off their website for homebrewers. They're support your local homebrew store like Beer Grains and DeFalco's here in Ottawa. 
I'm pretty sure there's a, a slew of others along the way. So please do check it out. Check out them. Check out the guys on, I believe they have an Instagram account. I believe they have a Twitter and also a Facebook account. Check them out, like them, and show them some love. Let's help, help a really great Canadian company stay in business. Again, guys, thanks a lot for coming along for the ride and a beer or two along the way. We'll see you on the other side. So I'd like to say thank you again to Richard Priest, one of the co-founders of Escarpment Laboratories, for coming on the show today. It is greatly appreciated. There's a lot of cool information there. Go check out the website, escarpmentlaboratories.com. You'll see a variety of yeast strains there that you can plan your beers around. Uh, there are some great places here in Ottawa. I know for a fact out in the Quebec side, there is a homebrew shop called Beer Grains, and they carry their products. So uh, please go check them out. Uh, check out their website, uh, and also if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do. Uh, it helps me uh, see what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. Uh, if you have time, please leave me a rating and even a review. Let me know what you think. It helps me make the show that much better. And thanks again for coming along the along for the ride and a beer or two along the way. I'm Dan Matthews, and we'll see you on their side.